0: Without further ado, we're going to jump in, and I'm going to define some terms for you guys first, so that we know we're speaking the same language as we go along here. Um, and the first term we're going to talk about is classical conditioning, right? So well, I'm going to lecture a little bit on classical and operant conditioning, which are basically um, uh, the components of learning theory and how dogs learn everything they learn, right? So everything we do in dog training is going to fall under either classical or operant conditioning. Classical conditioning is also called associative learning, right? And there was a Russian psychologist, Ivan Pavlov, working in a lab. He had uh, dogs in the lab that he was uh, doing tests on salivary responses in dogs. And he noticed that um, as he went along in his tests, the presence of the researchers who fed the dogs and took care of the dogs was having an effect on his studies. So he set up these automated feeders to feed the dogs without the researchers being in the room the researchers were having an effect on the dogs and so it had a tone or a bell that sounded before food dropped into the automated feeders for the dogs and he noticed that after a number of repetitions tone food tone food tone food tone food that the tone would sound and the dogs would actually start to salivate the dogs would actually have a physical response to what was previously a meaningless stimuli so that tone meant nothing to the dog but by predicting food or a primary reward or primary reinforcer, then it came to, associ- to create the same feelings in the dog that the, that the primary reinforcer itself would, right, that the reward would. So the dog would act when it heard the tone like it would in the presence of food. And he called this classical conditioning, right? So it's, and we use it extensively throughout dog training, and, and we'll talk about the places we do. Um, and he noticed something else interesting as he went through this process, which is that if the tone went off at the same time the food fell, or if the tone went off while the dogs were eating, there was no classical conditioning. Right? So it had to predict the food. It had to happen. And since Pavlov's time, they've done a whole bunch of lab work on this stuff in the, uh, about what's the perfect interval between the sound and the production of the reward to get the best results in classical conditioning. And it's right around a half a second. Right? So it's a really short period of time. But it, it still has to be before. If they're happening at the same time, no classical conditioning. Right? So where this matters for us is in a couple of places. One is we use uh, something I call a reward marker, but behaviorists will call a conditioned reinforcer or a bridge, right? So if you've exposed yourself at all to clicker training, uh, that's exactly what they're doing, right? They, uh, call it, the behaviorists call it a conditioned reinforcer because in the same way that Pavlov's sound became conditioned to create a a physical response to the dog, that's exactly what we're doing with our reward sound. So I could use a clicker, I could go click, feed, click, feed, click, feed, click, feed, 200 times till I click and my dog goes, hey, where's the food, right? And he starts acting the same way he would in the presence of food. Um, I can make a sound, I use my voice, but we take something that was previously meaningless to the dog, this in sound, I say yes, but it doesn't matter. You can bang, zip, whatever you want, right? I say yes, Um, take a sound that was previously didn't mean anything to the dog and by having it predict a primary reward, food or a toy, it gradually comes to have the same effect. It's been conditioned to be reinforcing, so that's why they call it a conditioned reinforcer. They also call it a bridge because it bridges the time between the action that the dog performs that you want to reward and the actual production of the reward. Right, So if you're reading any of the literature out there on, on uh, y- the use of markers or our clicker training type stuff, they're going to call it a conditioned reinforcer or a bridge. They're not going to call it a reward marker. I call it a reward marker because I think marker more clearly uh, relates what actually happens there. What actually happens there is we're marking a moment in time when the dog was correct, and then we're paying the dog after that with a reward. And that reward could be food, it could be a toy, it could be a pat on the head. It doesn't really matter. Whatever's reinforcing to the dog. This is a huge part of our approach to training. And one of the reasons is is it allows us to very precisely pinpoint the moment a dog was correct and then reward them after the fact. When we were training traditionally, and we started to use rewards, we were relying on our physical timing to get the reward to the dog when the dog was doing what we wanted them to do, right? So when we first, when I started dog training, all we did was escape avoidance training. You put a leash on a dog and you started yanking them around and they figured it out, right? They figured out how to avoid getting yanked on. They figured out how to turn that pressure off. It was all classic escape avoidance kind of keeler method training. There came a point in there, we started messing around with rewards, using toys, using food, and when we started to get involved in that kind of thing we weren't using a reward marker or a bridge. We were just trying to reward the dog when they were doing what we wanted, right? And in some behaviors that works out for you, in other behaviors it's almost impossible, right? So if I'm trying to reward a sit for my dog, that's a relatively simple one, right? My dog gets his butt on the ground, I stuff a piece of food in his mouth, or I stick a ball in his mouth, or I throw a ball for him, right? And so because he's sitting, when he gets his reward he associates sitting with that reward works works fine when we get into advanced behaviors it becomes increasingly difficult to get a reward to the dog while they're doing what you want so for instance if I'm trying to teach the dog to look into my eyes it's impossible for me to give him a reward and have him keep looking in my eyes right he's looking in my eyes I stuff to to give him a piece of food he looks away from my eyes and eats the piece of food so what's he doing when he gets the piece of food he's looking at my hand not my eyes so in order for me to capture that behavior Training traditionally, without using a bridge or a a reward marker, it's almost impossible, right? So then people start to spit food or they try to hold the toy up here so that the dog's looking up there when they get it, right? And those things all become really difficult. There are certain advanced retrieving behaviors. If I want to reward my dog for calmly holding, he can't take a reward and hold the object at the same time. So that's physically impossible. I take the object from him and give him a reward. What did he do right before I gave him the reward? He let go of the object. And I was in the act of trying to reward him for holding on to the object. So there are a whole bunch of advanced behaviors that are really almost impossible to capture with a reward um, communicate to the dog and have them still do it. The power of our reward marker is that once the dog's conditioned to this sound, they know that whatever they were doing when they heard that sound is what they're getting rewarded for, even if the reward follows after. So this is huge, super powerful, right? My dog can be all the way across the room, I can say down, he lays down. I say yes, he jumps up, he runs across the room, I fish in my pocket, I give him a piece of food. Now that piece of food came three, four seconds after the act of downing, and he's not downing when he's eating it. But because we've conditioned this sound, he started to have the feeling of being rewarded when he heard that sound, just like Pavlov's dogs. They started to salivate and feel all happy (laughs) because they knew the food was coming. The same thing happens for your dog once your reward marker is conditioned. The power here of this is, again, that I can pinpoint behavior really precisely, and I don't have to have a reward right there to give to the dog. I can have the reward hidden. I can have it out of sight. There are certain distance exercises, timing-wise, focus, little refined behaviors that I can reward the dog for, um, and I don't have to get the reward to the dog immediately. Huge. So that's one uh, um, example of classical conditioning. The other is commands. When we give commands, we are classically conditioning. A command is simply a verbal cue, and we put that in front of some physical help that gets the dog to do whatever we want them to do, and by repeatedly doing that right in front of it, we classically condition it to create the response we want. So, for instance, if I've shown my dog to sit with a piece of food, or if I've done it the old-fashioned way, I've shown my dog to sit by pulling up on his leash and pushing down on his butt, right? I can teach sit either way. There's a physical way I manipulate the dog into the position. I can take a piece of food and lift it up, so I lure him into a sit. I can grab him and put him in a sit. I can pull on his leash until he sits. These are all physical ways of helping the dog sit, as it were, right? And then once we've shown the dog how to do that, we put a verbal cue right in front of it. So if I was old school in him, I'd say sit, boom, sit, boom, sit, boom, and do that repeatedly until I say sit, and he sits before I do this classical conditioning. He starts to anticipate what happens right after that. Right? And so that's another example. Any if I was doing a lure with food it would be the same thing. I'd say sit, lure, reward. Sit, lure, reward. Sit, lure, reward repeatedly until I said sit and he anticipated and sat anyway, right? And we're classically conditioning when we're adding a command to a reward, right? We can also classically condition a punisher. So lots of us do this. You have your dog out in the world. He goes to chase your cat or, you know, chase a car or bite your nephew or whatever. You say no and you give your dog a correction. No, you give your dog a correction. After repeated pairings of this sound that means nothing to your dog, it's a word, it's a sound, I could go bleh, it wouldn't make any difference what it is, but by repeated pairing with that and some aversive or some negative experience that follows it, your dog will start to act as if he's being corrected when he hears the sound even though you don't correct him, right? So if I've conditioned a Punisher, classically conditioned a Punisher, I can say to my dog, no, and he'll go, sorry, right? He'll act like he got corrected because we've conditioned that, we've classically conditioned that. And that can help us or it can hurt us depending on what we're working on and the aesthetic we're trying to achieve and the dog's understanding. So But that's another example of classical conditioning. So we're gonna use classical conditioning. Anytime the dog is associating one thing with something that follows it repeatedly, the dog makes associations, that's why they call it associative learning, and that's classical conditioning. Another place we use it is in something that we call counter conditioning. Your dog's afraid of loud noises. You make a loud noise, you give him a piece of food. You make a loud noise, you give him a piece of food. Repeatedly do this, and if your dog's desire for that reward is high enough, then by repeated pairings, the dog starts to have different emotional states, a different physical feeling when they hear that sound. So instead of being, it eliciting fear, it now elicits this happy sensation, right? And we've counter conditioned that, classical conditioning, right? So these are all examples of classical conditioning and how we would apply them in dog training. So that's a big part of of what we do with the dog. In our next newsletter, we will have Michael's lecture on operant conditioning. If you're not already aware, Michael and I have done a number of dog training DVDs together. The latest being our four hour DVD titled Focused Healing.